Well, good afternoon to everybody, and uh, welcome to the show. I appreciate you listening to me, and I encourage you to try to get other people to listen in. I'm uh, working on several special guests for the next uh, in the next month or so that I want to have on the show. But today, obviously, our first topic of discussion has to be the treaty with Iran. And make no mistake about it, it is a treaty. And we're going to talk in a minute, a minute about the constitutional implications of the way it's being treated by the Congress and by the executive branch as an executive agreement that does not require two-thirds vote of the Senate to ratify it. But first, let's look at the treaty itself. I, I spent all morning... Uh, plowing through it. I haven't read the entire thing yet because I took time off to suffer through Obama's uh, press conference. And he got very testy at several points about being questioned. I mean, you know, he's, he sounded more and more, well, he sounds more and more all the time like Adolf Hitler. You know, don't question me. I'm the president. I will do what I want. I don't care about the Constitution. I don't care about the American people. I don't care about Congress. And that basically is what he said this, today that news conference, that this is his treaty, or this is his agreement, I should say, the way he puts it. This is his agreement. It's a done deal, and they're just going to have to live with it. It doesn't matter that uh, many of our allies in the Middle East oppose it, are terrified of it. It doesn't matter that the majority of Congress, both houses of Congress, including many Democrats, are opposed to this treaty. He doesn't care about that. In other words, he doesn't care about our constitutional republic. And he's shown that since he became president. He doesn't care about the Constitution. He doesn't care about what the American people think. He doesn't care what Congress thinks. He doesn't care what the Supreme Court thinks, for that matter. He is going to do whatever he wants to do. We are living in a dictatorship, ladies and gentlemen. It's a dictatorship that came about through acquiescence, of many within the Republican Party through complete acquiescence by the Democrats, the support of the news media, we have a president of the United States who believes himself to be emperor of the world and who will probably not turn over the reins of office in 2016. Or if he does, he will make sure he turns it over to somebody like Hillary Clinton who will do his bidding who will continue doing what Obama has set forth and basically give him his third term in office. I'm concerned that something's going to happen that will uh, he will use to declare martial law and basically suspend the elections in 2016 and continue on as president. But the fact of the matter is, is this Iran deal, like I said, I've read most of it at this point, is a horrible deal. We capitulated to Iran on every conceivable point. They gave us nothing except vague promises that they will obey the terms of the agreement. We're going to lift the sanctions, the economic sanctions on Iran. We're talking about billions of dollars that Iran is now going to be able to use to fund Hezbollah, to fund its terrorist operations in other countries. I mean, even Obama said this morning that Iran you know, has, is guilty of bad behavior because they, they fund terrorism. Yet he doesn't seem to care about that. We gave him a farm. 
Not since Neville Chamberlain did the agreement with Adolf Hitler has there been a foreign policy surrender as bad as this. We have basically told the Iranians, do whatever you want. We're not going to do anything about it. We're not going to leave ourselves an option to do anything about it. Now, Obama keeps talking about, well, if they violate the agreement, the sanctions will kick back in. We have an automatic provision to kick them back in. There's no such thing as an automatic provision. How are you going to kick back in and take back the money that you've released to Iran? The billions of dollars in foreign bank accounts that have been seized, and now they're going to, it's going to be released. As soon as they get their hands on the money, Iran's going to break the agreement entirely. And what will be done to, to stop them? Nothing. You can't get that money back. You've already given it to them. They're already spending it. They're buying new weapons with it. They're buying weapons for Hezbollah. They're spending the money supporting terrorism around the world. I mean, how quickly if we forget that in Iraq, hundreds if not thousands of Americans were killed by IEDs and weapons supplied by the Iranians to Al-Qaeda, to the resistance in Iraq. Americans died. At some points, the Iranians were actually involved the Iranian army, the Republican Guard of the Iranian army, actually had people fighting against us in Iraq. Yet all of that is forgiven by the President of the United States. All of that is water under the bridge. He doesn't care. And what about the four Americans being held by the Iranians illegally? A U.S. Marine, a reporter, a Christian minister a former FBI agent. <clears throat> Obama was asked why they weren't part of the negotiations. And he got very testy over this. Uh, Major Garrett actually asked him the question. And, you know, wanted to know, and it was a legitimate question, why are you content with leaving those four Americans in the hands of the Iranians? Why didn't you, you try to make that part of the negotiations? And he said, because that would have opened the door for Iran to ask for even more. What kind of answer is that? You've already given Iran everything it wanted. I mean, there's absolutely nothing in this agreement that keeps them from developing a nuclear weapon, if not a year from now, ten years from now. You're going to cancel the prohibition against Iran to get conventional weapons, so they're going to be able to get machine guns, they're going to be able to get tanks, and they're going to be able to get armored personnel carriers and Humvees and attack vehicles, uh, strikers. Uh, they're going to be able to get all types of weapons and ammunition that they can then turn over to Hezbollah or to Al-Qaeda. Let's not forget, Al-Qaeda leadership has been operating out of Iran for years. So Iran may claim it opposes ISIS, but then, by the way, we got, there's nothing in this agreement asking you know where Iran commits to fighting ISIS. But they've supported al-Qaeda, and now they're going to be getting conventional weapons. And in eight years under this agreement, and think about this. Okay, I'm, I'm an old guy. I may not be around in eight years. Hopefully I will be, but there's no guarantee of that. But my children 
God willing, will be around, and my grandchildren. And in eight years, the Iranians are going to be able to get ballistic missiles, ICBM, intercontinental ballistic missiles. The Russians are already ready to give them to them right now. The North Koreans will give them to them right now. They may get them from the North Koreans long before the eight years is up. And everybody's saying, well, if they don't have a nuclear weapon, that doesn't matter. Number one, they'll have a nuclear weapon. Number two, you have any idea how many explosives can be packed into the nose cone of an ICBM? And I'm talking about conventional explosives. They could be fired on the United States and could destroy major portions of some of our cities. Nobody realizes or seems to want to talk about the fact that you can also put biological weapons and chemical weapons into the nose cones of ballistic missiles. In fact, that was being done during Desert Storm by Saddam Hussein firing short-range missiles at Israel. So if you can do that with short-range missiles, imagine what can be packed into the nose cone of an ICBM. And there's also the probability of an EMP attack, electromagnetic pulse, that, according to my friend Kevin Freeman, who's been on this show several times, is an extreme danger to our electric grids in this country. If one single nuclear warhead is set off in space above our country, it could destroy our electric grid. And I'm not talking about knock it out for a couple of days or a couple of weeks or a couple of months. I'm talking about knocking it out for years. Imagine you can't withdraw money from your bank because everything's on the Internet. Everything is relying on electricity. You can't pump gas for your automobile because the pumps are all set electrically. Grocery stores are not going to be able to get food. They're not going to be able to order food. If they do have food, you're not going to be able to use a credit card to buy it. You're going to have to have cash. Credit cards will be no good. The banks will be shut down. Checks will be no good. Medical facilities are going to run out of medicine very quickly. They're not going to be able to function as far as using x-ray machines and this sort of thing. Because, yeah, they're on backup generators, but those backup generators generally operate on gasoline, and after a while they're not going to be able to get gasoline. So literally millions of Americans will die as a result of such an attack. And under this agreement with Iran, they're going to be in a position within a decade at the most to launch such a strike against us. There's no real verification here. Basically, the Iranians, if we think that they're up to something, we'll tell them that, okay, we want to inspect such and such a location. And the Iranians will say, okay, you can come in 24 days. But in 24 days, whatever's at that location can be new, moved to another location. We don't have the human intelligence in Iran to tell us what's going on. We don't have the human intelligence anywhere in the world because nobody trusts us anymore. Too many of our, our people have been outed by the Obama administration because he thinks, hey, this will help me make me look good. You know, I want to turn over 
intelligence, or I'm going to turn it over to the press and let the press know what I did here. Take SEAL Team 6. What happened to them after they killed Osama bin Laden? A bunch of those guys died because they were outed by the Obama administration. So they're not going to be verifying anything. They're not really going to care whether anything is verified or not, as far as the Obama administration is concerned. He's got his legacy deal. He's looking at, you know, I can say say that I normalize relations with communist Cuba. And we got nothing for that. Cuba's got a lot of Americans being held prisoner, too. There was no negotiation for those Americans. Iran holds Americans. No negotiation to release them. When are people going to realize that Obama doesn't care about Americans? He's not an American himself. He doesn't consider himself to be an American. He considers himself to be a Muslim and is going to be enforcing Sharia law on us eventually. Let's take our first break. The United States Justice Foundation, since 1979, has been dedicated to instructing, informing, and educating the public on legal issues confronting America. That means you and me. When necessary, this nonprofit organization has had to litigate to present the constitutional view. Since 1980, USJF has submitted testimony to the U.S. Senate on all but one U.S. Supreme Court nominee. Learn more about USJF by visiting their website at www.usjf.net. Support this nonprofit as it defends our rights, our liberty, and our Constitution. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. Don't be hoodwinked by the left who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power America on butterflies, rainbows, and pixie dust. I'm Marita Noon. Get the truth about energy on my show, America's Voice for Energy, only on America's Web Radio. Who is or what is USJF? It is a nonprofit legal organization founded to protect our rights through the U.S. Constitution. Active in educating the public, USJF has also contributed directly and indirectly to legal defense efforts in many celebrated cases involving fundamental conservative principles. Cases of note include the Mount Soledad Cross case, the Arizona Immigration Law case, the Obama eligibility cases, the NDAA illegal detention issue, and many more. Help this nonprofit as they help you. Visit www.usjf.net today. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Let's talk about this treaty and whether or not it is a treaty. When Obama started these negotiations, and actually these negotiations were started years ago by other presidents and always got nowhere because the Iranians would not negotiate in good faith. They wanted us to give up everything, and they would give us nothing. And former presidents refused to do that, uh, much to the chagrin of the Iranians. But now they have Obama in there, and Obama's willing to give away everything, including the kitchen sink, to them. 
But he starts calling this, and he's going to do this by executive agreement. Now, the definition of a treaty is any agreement between one or more countries that is done under international law. Now, this treaty is obviously being done under international law. This agreement is between not just two countries, but a number of different countries, because you have the Russians and the Chinese, who, by the way, fully support the Iranians in this. So if it comes down to uh, sanctions being put back on, they're going to oppose that in the United Nations. And, you know, we're going to get no help from the Chinese or the Russians. Uh, They're looking at uh, the Iranians being a partner with them, because they're no friends of ours. So, oh, and by the way, one of the provisions of this treaty that uh, is absolutely terrifying is that if the Iranians are accused of violating some of the provisions of the treaty, a tribunal will be formed, or not really a tribunal, but a, a committee, let's, let's call it, will be formed to decide whether or not they have violated the agreement. The committee will be made up of several countries, including Iran. Now, how's that for justice? Can you imagine if you're being tried for a crime in this country, that you're allowed to act as your own judge or a member of the jury? How's that going to work? Is it going to be one vote hangs the whole uh, tribunal up? And they can't make a decision, and that's you know that's part of the treaty. The whole thing is just utterly bizarre. But let's get back to the fact that it is a treaty. Now, under the Constitution of the United States, any treaty signed by the President of the United States or by his representative must then be submitted to the United States Senate for ratification by two-thirds of the Senate before it can go into effect. Now, when Obama started making noises about he was going to do this without the Senate, Republicans got angry, some of the Democrats got angry, but then they made an agreement with him that's absolutely extraordinary. They said, okay, we'll do this. We'll give up the right of the United States Senate, the obligation under the Constitution We'll give up the obligation to ratify this treaty by a two-thirds majority. We will accept your definition that it's not a treaty, and clearly it is, but we'll accept your definition, Obama, that it's not a treaty, but that it's an executive agreement. But you have to submit it to us for review, and we have to have 60 days for review of the treaty, and then we can vote it up or down by a majority vote. But then, if a majority of the Congress votes against it, there's no guarantee that the Democrats will will join with the Republicans in the Senate to do that. Uh, There's a lot of them that are opposing at this point, but Obama usually manages to get the Democrats into lockstep with him eventually. But say both houses of Congress vote by a simple majority not to accept the treaty. Obama then has the right to veto that vote. And once he vetoes it, 
In order to override that veto, you have to have two-thirds of the Senate and two-thirds of the House of Representatives vote to override it. Obama will only need 34 votes in order to put the treaty into effect. Now, under the Constitution, he should need 67 votes to put the treaty into effect, or 66 votes, because that's what it would take to, well, 67 votes is what it would take to uh, have two-thirds majority. So he would need to do that in order to ratify the treaty. That is what the Constitution calls for. The Constitution does not give the Congress or the Senate, particularly, the right to give up that. When the Senate voted to set, make this agreement with Obama, the Senate, in effect, said, we are changing the Constitution. We are giving up our constitutional right and our constitutional obligation to vote on a treaty in the Senate, to ratify it by two-thirds majority. We are giving that right up. We are, in effect, changing the Constitution without going through the amendment process that's set up in the Constitution. We're just going to change it. We're going to do what Obama has told us to do. And this is a Republican-controlled Senate that did this, and a Republican-controlled House that did this. Now, the House really didn't have any say in it one way or the other. The Constitution provides that treaties must be ratified by the Senate. The House has no say in it at all. Yet, the Obama administration got the Republicans to vote and go along with this. What they should have done, the minute he came out and started saying, I'm going to do this by an executive agreement, they should have gone to the United States Supreme Court directly, because that's what the Constitution provides for, directly to the United States Supreme Court to get a declaratory judgment that this was, in fact, a treaty. And one of the things I'm doing right now is I'm researching Supreme Court decisions regarding treaties and what the definition of a treaty is. And what I'm uncovering so far indicates to me that if somebody in the Senate had, had guts enough to do this, it wouldn't take just one senator that they would have won. And that the Supreme Court, even as left-wing as it's been, I think the Supreme Court would have gone along with them and said, no, this is a treaty. It has to be ratified by two-thirds of the United States Senate. I think that's what would have happened. It's not too late. A suit can still be filed. Before Congress even votes on this treaty, somebody in the United States Senate has to have the guts to step up and say, no, you cannot do this. This is, in fact, a treaty. Read it. Look at the definitions of the Supreme Court when it talks about treaties and international agreements in the same breath. It basically sees no difference between them. Well, if there's no difference between a treaty and an international agreement, then there's no difference between a treaty and an executive agreement that's internationally involves other countries. So it has to be voted on by the United States Senate. And as Americans, if we allow 
this thing to go forward the way it's presently constituted, we have basically said the Constitution is meaningless, that not only can the Supreme Court change the Constitution like it did on the gay marriage ruling without any rhyme or reason or justification, but the Congress can change the Constitution without going through the amendment process. The Congress can just choose to ignore the Constitution. So we will have all three branches of government, the executive branch, the judicial branch, and the legislative branch, basically saying the Constitution is no longer applicable. We will do whatever we want. We will allow the other branches to do whatever they want. We're not going to enforce the Constitution. That's what's happening here. I'm going to be writing an article about this in the next few days about the treaty, but primarily about the constitutional issue, because nobody's talking about that. Not Fox News, not members of the U.S. Senate, not members of the House of Representatives. Nobody is talking about the constitutional issue here. And yeah, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think so. But it certainly would be worth the effort. And see, the reason I keep calling on a U.S. senator to file suit, because you have the standing rules. You have to, in order to get standing to file a suit, you have to prove that you are being affected, adversely affected by the, whatever's being done. Well, I think we, I think I can get standing myself on that, because, you know, I'm a voter. I voted for U.S. senators in the state of Texas. Now, when I voted for them, it was my understanding that the Constitution required that they be part of a ratification process of any U.S. treaty. Now these two senators have said, or they haven't said specifically them, but now the Senate in, in total has said that we're going to give up that right and obligation of ours. So I'm no longer being represented in the United States Senate the way it's required under the Constitution. So I think I would have standing, but the courts would probably, because they like to find a way to throw cases out like this, would probably say, no, you don't have standing. But they can't say that to a U.S. senator. Because a U.S. senator can say, look, I have a constitutional obligation to represent my constituents and vote on treaties. If you allow this to go forward as an executive agreement and not be ratified by a two-thirds majority of the Senate, then that violates my constitutional obligation to my constituents. That's a game changer. That's a whole new ball game. I want to be researching this extensively in the next few days, and we're going to be talking about the United States Justice Foundation. And you know, you can go to my blog at Michael Connolly, C O N N E L L Y dot G Z G I G S Y dot com, and you can read the article when I post it. And you can also email me, and I will put you on the email list so that you'll get notice of new postings of the article. I've actually posted an article just uh, uh, last night, a new article called Another Fed Agency, uh, Another Fed Attack on Veterans. And uh, we'll talk about that later on the show. But again, it's michaelconnolly.jigsy.com. And you can read about what we're doing. You can also go to the U.S. Justice Foundation website, usjf.net, and you can read those articles there. They, we'll get them up there a few days later. 
And you can also see what else we're doing involving veterans' cases right now, what we're doing involving the uh, marriage, gay marriage situation. We've got a series of articles written by constitutional scholars on there about that. So take a look, and we'll talk more in just a few minutes after this break. The United States Justice Foundation, since 1979, has been dedicated to instructing, informing, and educating the public on legal issues confronting America. That means you and me. When necessary, this nonprofit organization has had to litigate to present the constitutional view. Since 1980, USJF has submitted testimony to the U.S. Senate on all but one U.S. Supreme Court nominee. Learn more about USJF by visiting their website at www.usjf.net. Support this nonprofit as it defends our rights, our liberty, and our Constitution. This is Georgia author Doug Dahlgren. Join me Fridays at 11 a.m. for a new show here on America's Web Radio. We call it the Prologue. I'll be introducing you to other writers you may not have heard of yet. That's Fridays at 11 a.m. here on America's Web Radio. With all the back and forth in today's politics, it seems as though the Constitution gets lost in the mix. If you want to brush up on your Constitution, then join Michael Conley every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. for the show Our Constitution on AmericasWebRadio.com. Watchdog is a term given an organization like the United States Justice Foundation, which since 1979 has been watching out and, when necessary, taking the appropriate action from testifying to litigating to protect our constitutional rights. USJF, a nonprofit organization, is nationally recognized not only as a watchdog, but many in the government, as well as those involved in legal cases, have also called the USJF a bulldog for the tenacious approach in their presentation and proof of what is right. Find out more at www.usjf.net. Support USJF as they support you. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. So this Iranian treaty is a slap in the face of the American people. It's a slap in the face to our allies, particularly Israel. I mean, Israel is being put in a position right now where this treaty will allow them to be destroyed. I mean, you have a picture of the Ayatollah in Iran in the last few days stomping on the Israeli flag. They call us the great Satan. They call Israel the little Satan. Iran has vowed to destroy us. They have vowed to impose Sharia law around the world. They vowed to kill all Jews. Men, women, and children, everybody that lives in Israel would be executed by the Iranians. And this is who we've made an agreement with? Now Netanyahu is, is very upset about this, and needless to say, wouldn't you be? His country has been condemned to death. His people have been condemned to death by Obama and essentially by the United States Congress. Oh, yeah, they're doing their posturing now. Oh, well, we, we, we can't do this because, you know, Israel is our ally, and so we'll vote it down in Congress, and then Obama can veto our vote, and then it can go through because we won't have the votes to override the veto. This is all lip service. This is all caving in by our Congress 
by our congressional leadership, and not every member of Congress that caved in on this, but our congressional leadership did, Mitch McConnell, John Boehner, they're not leading the fight against Obama. They're basically giving in to Obama on everything. I watched the presidential press conference. The man lied because I've read the treaty, or at least parts of it at this point. He's lying. Remember when he said that under Obamacare, if you like your doctor, you can keep your doctor? If you like your insurance company, you can keep your insurance company? Well, he lied. And now everybody knows he lied. And now he stands up in front of these reporters, in front of the American people this morning, and he says that this agreement will keep Iran from ever having a nuclear weapon. That's not what the agreement says. It says Iran will not develop a nuclear weapon for 10 years. That's not that long a period of time. After 10 years, they can develop a nuclear weapon. It doesn't have many provisions in it that stop Iran from continuing to develop a weapon right now. Because they're still going to have centrifuges. They're still going to have the capability of reaching uranium. They're going to have to supposedly get rid of most of it, but you don't need that much. They can go on with their research and development. They're not going to know what they're doing. They're not going to tell us what they're doing. All of this relies on trusting the Iranians to be honest and to all of a sudden become good people. The Iranian leadership, they have been bad actors for years. They continue to be bad actors. They're not going to change. The people in Iran celebrating this as a victory over the United States and our allies. And it is. It's a major victory. We gave them the farm, and we got nothing in return. When Obama says that this is going to keep the Iranians from getting a nuclear weapon, that is an out-and-out, ball-based lie. The question is not whether or not they're going to get the weapons, but when they're going to get a weapon or more than one weapon. And what are they going to do with the weapon when they get it? Well, they could use it against us directly, or they can develop some weapons and give them to terrorist organizations. I mean, they got the capability right now to make, make dirty bombs and give those to terrorist organizations. There's really nothing in this treaty that prohibits them from doing that. So Obama's lied to us again. And he continues to lie, lie to us. And it's not just on this issue. Obama lies to us on immigration. And he ignores the Constitution when it comes to immigration. Under Article 2, Article 1, Section 8 of the Constitution, the control over naturalization and thereby immigration in this country is given completely to the Congress of the United States. No in the Constitution does the President have any control over immigration. Yet Obama has granted amnesty, has changed the law, has ignored the law, 
all of which you cannot do because Article 2, Section 2 of the Constitution says the president must enforce the laws passed by Congress. Obama has decided that doesn't apply to him. He's going to change laws whenever he wants. He's going to make new laws. He's done it repeatedly with his executive actions, executive orders. And he did it on amnesty. And he basically has stopped the enforcement of existing federal law that requires people to break the law of this country and come here illegally must be deported. He stopped the deportations. They really don't exist anymore. People that are deported, serve, have committed crimes here in this country, and are deported, they come back in, and under the sanctuary city policy, which is illegal, by the way, but at places like San Francisco, they're not going to even convict you criminals. Obviously, they're not going to be deported. They're going to be turned They're going to be let go. So they can go out and kill young women. Up here, from a wharf in San Francisco. By the way, where's Obama on this? I mean, federal officials were sent to the funeral of Michael Brown, a criminal who attacked a policeman and got killed. Federal officials have been sent to other funerals involving criminals. The Trahan matter. All over the country this is happening. Obama is directly involved in criminal cases like this, deciding that police officers particularly are, are guilty until proven innocent. And even when they're proven innocent, he still claims that they're guilty. And he always calls the family. He always commiserates with the families of these kill thugs. Yet we have a young woman killed in San Francisco by an illegal alien who was a convicted felon who had been deported five times from this country and who was back in and who was being held in jail in San Francisco under a detainer that they basically required that if he was released from jail he had to be turned over to ICE to be deported and the sheriff of San Francisco decided well we're a sanctuary city we don't have to obey federal law we don't care about the safety of our citizens. Uh, these, this is a you know Mexican immigrant. Uh, he is our first responsibility is to take care of him. So they let him go, and he murders somebody. Why had Obama said anything? Well, several reasons. Number one, the person that was murdered was a young white woman. You know that there was no significance to Obama. And the person that murdered her was not a white man or a police officer killing somebody who was black. The person that murdered him was one of Obama's dreamers, one of his illegal aliens that he looked so highly upon, who has been allowed to continue coming into this country to break our laws, not just the law he's breaking by being here illegally, but the man was a convicted felon, and he's let loose on the streets. How does Obama respond to this? He doesn't call the family. He doesn't reach up to them. He doesn't send White House representatives to the young woman's funeral. 
turns around and he spits in the face of American citizens once again. So what's he done? Today, he is visiting 46 convicted felons and has written all of them personal letters. You know, he didn't have time to make one phone call to this family, to the young woman. But he's got time to write 46 personal letters to 46 convicted felons, basically apologizing to them for the fact that they were convicted of felonies under our criminal justice system and are in jail, and he's going to let them go. This is on top of others that have been let go. But nobody's even talking about the thousands upon thousands of illegal aliens who are in this country and in our jails because they've committed crimes. And I'm talking about crimes that range from DUIs to murder or rape or child molestation. The law requires that they serve their sentences, and once their sentences are served, that they be deported back to their country of origin. Instead, Obama has released, and the Obama Justice Department has released, 68,000 of these people back onto our streets. No deportation, no effort at deportation. They're on our streets. Does anybody wonder why crime is spiking in so many cities around the country? I mean, of course, you have an example of Baltimore, where basically the mayor of Baltimore uh, decided that, you know, if people want to riot and burn down part of the city, that's okay. Told the police to back off and let them do it. You know, it's their, I guess, their constitutional right to destroy property. But she said, we won't stand, stand in the way of those people that want to destroy something. So you have a disheartened police department that basically is not allowed to enforce the law. Nobody's afraid of the police anymore. Nobody's afraid of being arrested. So you have a tremendous murder rate going on in Baltimore. You have in Chicago, you have tremendous murders going on all the time. I, I did Charles Butler's show this morning in Chicago, and he was talking about over the 4th of July weekend, three young men who had come home see their aunt they were come home from college fine young men that were gunned down while they were in their car by a violent gang they ended up managing to avoid running their car into a home before they died or killing anybody else on the street they actually hit the American Legion post uh, that Charles Bugs member of because he's a veteran just like I am Chicago. Chicago has some of the strictest gun control laws in the country. Yet the murder rate there is the highest in the country. And this is part of Obama's plan. To coddle the criminals, to coddle the illegals, and to let the United States of America be brought to its knees and let American citizens no longer feel safe either at home or abroad. Let's take our final break. Who is or what is USJF? It is a nonprofit legal organization founded to protect our rights through the U.S. Constitution. Active in educating the public, USJF has also contributed directly and indirectly to legal defense efforts in many celebrated cases involving fundamental conservative principles. Cases of note include the Mount Soledad Cross case, the Arizona Immigration Law case, 
the Obama eligibility cases, the NDAA illegal detention issue, and many more. Help this nonprofit as they help you. Visit www.usjf.net today. This is Georgia author Doug Dahlgren. Join me Fridays at 11 a.m. for a new show here on America's Web Radio. We call it the Prologue. I'll be introducing you to other writers you may not have heard of yet. That's Fridays at 11 a.m. here on America's Web Radio. With all the back and forth in today's politics, it seems as though the Constitution gets lost in the mix. If you want to brush up on your Constitution, then join Michael Conley every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. for the show Our Constitution on AmericasWebRadio.com. The United States Justice Foundation since 1979 has been dedicated to instructing, informing, and educating the public on legal issues confronting America. That means you and me. When necessary, this nonprofit organization has had to litigate to present the constitutional view. Since 1980, USJF has submitted testimony to the U.S. Senate on all but one U.S. Supreme Court nominee. Learn more about USJF by visiting their website at www.usjf.net. Support this nonprofit as it defends our rights, our liberty, and our Constitution. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. With the negotiations involving this Iranian treaty, with the overlooking of the fact that illegal immigrants in this country are committing numerous murders, last count I heard was 121, and that was before this young lady was killed out in California. I understand there have been several more murders since then. In fact, a a young woman and her three-year-old baby were burned to death by an illegal immigrant in North Carolina, I believe it was. And, uh, you know, this was someone else who had been deported and was back in this country. So we have all this going on, and Americans are continuing to be held hostage by the Iranians. Americans are continuing to die on our streets, being killed by illegal aliens. And this is what Obama's letting happen. And this is what he wants to have happen. He doesn't care about us. He doesn't care about the lives of Americans. If he did, we would be attacking ISIS persistently in full force instead of these very limited attacks where we'll launch five sorties of aircraft against ISIS in a day and two to three of them will come back without ever having dropped their bombs or fired their, their rockets because they can't get clearance from the White House to attack the target they see. They're basically being allowed to bomb empty buildings at night, empty pickup trucks parked. That's it. He didn't want to kill any ISIS members. He didn't want to kill Muslims. He didn't want to kill radical jihadists. He doesn't even admit they exist. He doesn't care about the people of this country. He he cares about destroying this country and bringing it to its knees. And the article I posted on my website last night brings this home again. Think about this. We have Islamic terrorists running amok around the world and threatening Americans here and abroad. We have veterans dying because they can't get medical care from the VA. 
And by the way, I don't know if you've seen the, the recent story that came out, and this is an internal review by the VA, that between one-quarter and one-third of the veterans who are on the waiting list for treatment at VA facilities, they're already dead. 238,000 veterans are dead while they were on the waiting list to get treatment. Now, what does that tell you about the so-called fix of the VA that the president ordered? This all broke about a year ago about veterans dying because they were uh, their files were being shut aside and because they were on waiting for months at a time. Nothing's been fixed. Nothing ever gets fixed because Obama hates the veterans. He hates our military. Forty thousand men and women are going to be dumped from the army and basically put into the workforce where there are no jobs, and they're going to be thrown out while Obama is ordering the Pentagon to actually recruit, actively recruit, replacements for them, those that we can afford it, but he wants them replaced by illegal aliens. Why? Because they would have no loyalty to the United States. They've already violated our laws by being here. He wants people in there that have loyalty to him. But again, we have the Islamic terrorism in this continent, in the world. We have veterans dying because they can't get medical care from the VA. We got foreign criminals coming right over our southern border and murdering American citizens. And what's the Obama response to all of this been? To have five major federal agencies devoting much of their resources to disarming American veterans. And that's what my newest article is all about. Go to Michael Connolly, C-O-N-N-E-L-L-Y, dot jigsy, J-I-G-S-Y, dot com, and read the article. Because I talk about the fact that we have uncovered, and I'm talking about the United States Justice Foundation, through our Freedom of Information Act request, we've uncovered the fact that in addition to the federal agencies we'd already identified, has been involved in attack on veterans and the disarming of American veterans and the putting them on the uh, NICS list so they cannot legally purchase firearms and then putting them on the list of potential domestic terrorists simply because they're veterans. We identified the VA, the FBI, the Department of Defense, and Department of Homeland Security. Now, as a result of Freedom of Information Act requests sent out, most of which were ignored by the agencies, as we had previously sent one to the VA and they ignored it, but we sued and won, and we got some very damaging information uh, about this. And the FBI responded to our Freedom of Information Act request and basically sent us the same memorandum that we had gotten before when we sued the VA. And that's an agreement, an appalling agreement, between the VA and the FBI, in which basically they say that the FBI will agree to take anybody's name, any veteran's name, who was sent to them by the VA as having been declared incompetent to handle their own financial affairs, and the FBI will then categorize them as mentally defective to being point of being a danger to themselves or others. Now, the law requires that before you can be put in that category, you have to be adjudicated to be mentally ill to the point of being a danger to yourself or others. That's not the way it works anymore, not only the Obama administration. 
Eric Holder decided that adjudication did not mean that you had to go and have a court hearing or even a hearing in front of an administrative judge, that any federal employee, even a contract employee, could declare any veteran mentally defective at any point. And the FBI has agreed to go along with us. So we have that memorandum. And then all of a sudden, a couple of weeks ago, actually about a month ago now, we were stunned to receive a letter in response to our Freedom of Information Act request from a fifth federal agency that we had not made a request to. I'm talking about the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms. They inform us that the FBI had sent them seven pages of documents and asked them to decide whether or not they could be released to us. They don't say what these documents are, what they relate to, but obviously they relate to this situation because BATF tells us they're going to deny us access to these documents because they, they are interagency random. So now we have definitive proof that there are five federal agencies involving attacking, involved in attacking our veterans. Senator Charles Grassley's committee, the Senate Judiciary Committee, is investigating the classification of so many veterans as mentally ill because they have learned, and we've been working with them on this, they have learned that of the people on the NICS list, the National Criminal Incident Background Checklist, that have been put on that list and cannot purchase firearms because they have been declared mentally defective to the point of being a danger to themselves or others, that 99.3% of the people on that list are American veterans. They're being put on that list because they have been declared incompetent to handle their own financial affairs. Or they, they're being declared incompetent because they have minor PTSD or because they may have been depressed at some point uh, following the loss of a friend in combat because they may have lost a limb in combat or because they let their spouses pay the family bills. Or And we're directly working with several veterans, including one here in Texas, and I've got the letters, was told he was mentally incompetent or incompetent to handle his own financial affairs and could not own firearms because he had his bills paid automatically by the bank, automatically out of his checking account every month. How many of us do that? How many of you do that? How long will it be before the federal government comes after you, veteran or not, and declares you incompetent? We're continuing to represent veterans around the country. We're doing it for free. We need help. I recently got a check for $10,000 in the mail from somebody that wants to support us and our efforts. This is not the only thing we're working on, as you can tell. But it's one of the most important things we're working on. Please contribute to us. Go to usjf.net, and you can find out how to contribute online or how to send us a check in the mail. Support us. Support what we're doing for our country. Take a look at our website, usjf.net. Take a look at my blog, Michael Connolly, C-O-N-N-E-L-L-Y.jigsy.com. There you can find out about what I'm doing, what I'm writing about. You can also check out my books, including the Mortarman, the book about my father's unit during World War II that's become a big seller. 
and my patriotic novel, Ami Yaley, A Story of America, which the liberals hate. And then you'd also order copies of my booklet, Our Constitution, which is a 77-page booklet that takes each article and each amendment of the Constitution and puts it out the way they were originally written, and then I put my comments about what it actually they actually mean. And this is being bought. Thousands of copies have been sold. Uh, people are buying them to give out to school uh, children, to give out to friends, just to carry around with them, to give out to organizations. So you can go to www.constitution.jigzy.com or to my website, michaelconnolly.jigzy.com, and you can find out how to order copies of those booklets. So thank you for having me with you again today, and I look forward to talking to you again next week. God bless America. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.